All About You is a memoir. I have tried to recreate events, locales, and conversations from my memories of them. In order to maintain their anonymity in some instances, I have changed the names of individuals and places. I may have changed some identifying characteristics and details, such as physical properties, occupations, and places of residence. Chapter 39 Daddy My phone rang at 5 a.m. I was instantly awakened, but my sleep-filled brain was confused. Was that my phone, or is my two-week-old son getting up for another feeding? Baby, get the phone, Rob said, his strong hand on my arm. It must be the hospital. I answered. Liz, my brother's tired voice came over the line. It's me. I think it's about time. You need to come back. I scrambled for my things. I had to stop and mix some formula for the baby. My breasts had dried up already. So much stress. So much worry. Dad had gone into the hospital over a month ago. His kidneys were infected, and they were not getting better with antibiotics. It was time to take more aggressive action. Mom called me to tell me when the decision was made to check him into the hospital. Dad's mom had died of kidney failure. Mom told me that when Dad got off the phone with the doctor, after learning he needed to go to the hospital, he sat on the edge of their neatly made bed and cried, afraid that he would go into the hospital and never come out. He was 83. I never thought my daddy would not come home. He was so vibrant. I called him every day from the hospital I was in after I had my son. This was the only birth of a child of mine that my dad had missed. I know it made him sad. We laughed that we were both in cheap threadbare gowns and how awful the food was. At the end of every phone call, he would say, Thank you for calling. That was code for, I love you. So I said, Of course, Daddy. I love you too. As soon as I was able, I visited him in the hospital between baby feedings to cheer him up and take him pictures of his new grandson. He loved seeing these pictures, and it would make him cry. You'll see him real soon and get to hold him, Daddy. I kissed his bald head. I fed him pudding, the only thing he felt up to eating. My brother and I spent a lot of time in that room, sending Mom home to get rest while Dad napped. We sat mainly in silence or talked about easy things, current events, our children, If we had dared to talk about life with Dad, emotions would have run too high. We might be admitting that this was the end, and neither of us were willing to be the first one to say it. Mom and Dad had stopped going to church years ago. They preferred to watch it on TV, but Dad still sent in his checks of support, so this got us a daily visit from the minister. The minister stopped by one day when Jonathan and I were alone, and seeing Dad asleep, he just whispered some nice things to us about how the older gang at the church spoke so highly of Robert and what a great guy he was. I remember my brother and I looking into each other's eyes at the same moment, trying not to laugh. Dad's name was John. The minister finally left, and we giggled like little children as our father slept, dying slowly next to us. I was alone with Dad the evening before the 5 a.m. phone call. 
I had a moment to sit there and talk to him. I wasn't sure if he could hear me. He was on a lot of morphine. He was sleeping on his side, but his hands were tightly gripping the bed rail, as if he were afraid to let go, or he'd fall. Every so often, his eyes would fly open wildly and stare at me as if he didn't know who I was or where he was. Hey, Daddy, I would say. I'm right here. It's okay to let go, Daddy. I understand if you have to go. When he died, we were all there. Mom, Jonathan, his wife, my Aunt Elizabeth, and me. I was holding his hand when he took his final breath. We stood there looking at him. He turned white so quickly. I thought it happened too fast. Couldn't I just have another minute? My mother slowly stood up and tucked her pocketbook under her arms, the needlepoint she had been working on sticking carelessly out, threads hanging down the side, their bright colors in contrast to the gloom of the hospital room. Well, I guess we should go now, she said in the smallest of whispers. Everyone else started to slowly gather their things, but I didn't move. I just stared at Dad, watching him turn whiter before my eyes. Elizabeth? My mother was at the door holding it open, the brightest lights from the hallway cutting through the darkness of the room, the noises from the nurse's station invading my grief. It's time to go now. She looked old and tired from the tears we had all shed for this sweet man. She doesn't have to go yet, said the nurse, appearing in the doorway behind her. That's her daddy. Let her stay. Chapter 40 The Meeting I got out of the car at my sister's house, carrying the love of my friends and husband, and as promised, the ghost of my daddy along with me, as I walked up to the door and knocked on it. The door was flung wide open, and there she was, my mother. It was like looking into a mirror. Our matching blue eyes met. She held her arms out, and I fell into her warm embrace. I inhaled the scent of my mother's perfume, bright, floral. She smelled like spring. I wondered if she had always worn the scent. Is that what my mother always smelled like? I saw my sister standing behind us, so happy for both of us in that moment. We were all laughing as tears sprang into our eyes. Let me look at you, my mother said, holding me at arm's length. Such a beautiful girl, my sweet daughter. Her hand caressed my face, and we hugged again. I've been such a fool to wait so long to meet you. I hope we can make up for lost time. I know you must have so many questions. Come in, come in. We have a lot of catching up to do. It's time you knew the entire story, isn't it, my darling girl? That was what I was hoping for. However, it didn't exactly happen that way. Our meeting was calm and refined. It was more like I had walked into a cocktail party with some of the nicest people I had ever met. We were all sincerely interested in each other, but there were clear boundaries and feelings were held in tight check. We were all on our best behavior. It was hard for me not to stare at my beautiful mother. I knew one thing right away. I loved her. I loved the way she brushed her hair off her face, just like I do. The way she wrinkled her nose when she laughed. I do that too. I asked for a picture before I left, and we stood together in front of my sister's fireplace mantle. My mother leaned her head next to mine and held on to me with both hands. 
It was the closest we would come to being emotional. I loved looking at that picture. I shared it with all of my friends. We marveled over the similarities. This moment reminded me of a time when my oldest daughter, Daphne, was not quite two years old. We were getting ready for her bedtime. It was my favorite time to be with her, when it was quiet and we were snuggled on the bed, reading books and sharing stories from the day. We sat in silence for a moment on this particular night. I twirled one of her long red curls around my finger and said, Daphne, do you remember what God looks like? She turned to look at me, placed her soft little hand on my face and said, like you. She paused so briefly. And like me. Like you and me. Now looking at this photo of my mother and me, I suddenly understand the brilliance of the innocent little thing Daphne said. God is love. We are love. When we look at each other, we can see it in its purest form. Chapter 41 Liz Noir Janet, baby case. Case closed. So there is my story, told again. Throughout the process of getting it all out of my head and onto paper, the thought occurred to me that this was more than a story about me searching for my birth mother. It's a story about mothers, the mother who had me, and the mother who raised me. When I think about my birth mother, I marvel at the strides she has taken to finally allow me into her life, from vehement denial through reluctant admittance and finally exuberant acceptance. I often wonder if I'm just putting myself in the same situation with a different family, locking myself into a lifelong struggle for acknowledgement. The insecurities and doubts I have always grappled with are never far from my mind. I get jealous of my birth mother's love for her other children, the same way I was always jealous of Jonathan. I can tell myself it's different this time. She only needs time to get used to me being in her life. But isn't that how I think of my adopted mother, too? One day she will come around and we will bond. One day I will get to feel like Jonathan. I will be the favorite. I see so many similarities in looks and talents between my sister and me, and I think that my birth mother really got lucky. She had to give away her first daughter, but she still got a chance to raise me, someone like me. I will never know how it would have been to have a mother like her. When I think about my adoptive mother now, I think the opportunity for the greatest love and friendship was lost to both of us. Here we were, two children who never knew their real mothers, raised by other women. Right there, we should have had a bond, an opportunity to show that it didn't matter who gave birth to you. It was okay to feel different. We accept you for just who you are. You are safe here. I always thought I needed a mother who thought I was special and unique and loved me unconditionally because of that. My birth mother was able to fill that void, to pump a little extra air into the sagging balloon edges of my heart. She did it so immediately and effortlessly and made sure I knew it and felt it. Because of that gift, I am able to love the mother who raised me with far less complications. I can now love her for who she is and not what I need her to give me. I used to look for a mother's love in so many different places. The men in my life, 
even my own children, but they can never do it. Husbands love passionately, and children love selfishly. But I can stop looking now. My heart is calmer. I see my adoptive mother now in her old age and how her attachment to her things is so important to her. Who will take care of my furniture and my things after I'm gone? What will become of them? I now understand this. I understand her need to hold on to something concrete. Children grow up and move away. They never call or visit often enough. Husbands die. She is left with her things. If she regrets keeping a wall up in our relationship, I don't see it. She still does not talk about her feelings. If I ever thought to bring it up, she would tell me I was ridiculous. She would say she never acted the way I remember and everything was fine. Subject closed. She said to me once, I did the best I could. I believe her. In the fractured way that she knows love, she loves me very deeply. And I love her too. She told me that she felt like the villain in my life story, that she wasn't good enough. I told her that maybe neither of us were good enough, but we still have time. I will never leave her side. I will take her to her doctor's appointments. I will run to the bylo. I will bring flowers for her garden. She was there for me in the best way she knew to me, and I will give her my best too. She is my mother, and I will guide her through the rest of the days of her life together, her hand in mine. Well, anyway. Then, of course, there is the mother that I am. The story cannot be written yet. I am still raising my children, doing my best with the feelings I have, making my own mistakes, fueling their life stories. What will they tell their children about me? How will I be remembered? Will they call or visit often enough? I did the best I could. Chapter 42 Epilogue Baby Case Evaluation 3 18, 16. Elizabeth seems to be functioning very well with her biological family. She and her mother are getting closer every day, and they have found a great happiness in each other's company. What was once rather formal and polite has grown into genuine love and devotion. The biological siblings have bonded and are continuing to cultivate their relationships. Her biological sister celebrated her wedding last year, and Elizabeth was in attendance with her husband and four children. Her biological brother has moved to, but they still communicate frequently and have formed a great friendship. Her children refer to him as the uncle. Has not disclosed the name of Elizabeth's birth father to her, and Elizabeth's contentment leaves her unwilling to upset the apple cart. She is respecting decision, despite new clues that have tempted Liz Noir, girl detective. Elizabeth's adoptive mother is still very much in Elizabeth's life, although her Parkinson's disease greatly limits her involvement. She refers to Elizabeth's biological family as your people. This shows great progress from the sullen silence that had been her previous response to all adoptive information. She seems to be handling the situation well and adjusting as any adoptive mother possibly could. It is with great joy that I can report on Elizabeth's most recent leap year birthday celebration. Her biological mother spent it with her, 
And for the first time in 48 years, 12 if you are counting in leap years, these two were together to celebrate. It appears this placement is going well. Acknowledgements. First and foremost, I have to thank Brian Turner for refusing to be my ghostwriter and sending me on this journey of exploration and release. I am so glad I know Jessica Hofer. She was a patient and thoughtful editor of this book, and I could not have done it without her help, guidance, and genuine enthusiasm for my story. Diane Anderson helped me see this book with the eyes of an adopted mother, and her help was instrumental as well. Thank you to Shelley Little for being a thoughtful reader of this book and being a second mother to our Deandra. Keely Enright, you put a lot of time into reading this and helping me psychoanalyze myself. You should charge by the hour. And last, my husband Rob and my four children, who had to hear the words, the book, 70 gazillion times and never once rolled your eyes. I love you, you little freaks. About the author. Seriously? You need to know more? 